Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Mackenzie campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. God is on the move. Uh, it's been an incredible start to our year, uh, seeing what God has been up to, not just here in our church, but globally. There's been an outcry for God's Spirit to move. And I know in our Holy Spirit series, the beginning of the year, we had this sense that God was going to do something new within us. And we didn't know what that's going to be, but we do know that Move Conference is going to be one of those times we get together. It's pretty rare these days, actually, for our whole church family in six places to come together and discern the will of God. So I want to invite you, just make sure you get that QR code, scan it, come along, because it's going to be a really important moment, cultural, spiritual moment for our church family to gather together and see what God is doing in our lives. But God is doing a lot of things along his lines of the church globally at the moment. There's a bit of sad news overnight from us that uh, Pastor Reverend Dr. Timothy Keller passed away. Now, Timothy Keller has written some incredible books that sit pride and place on my bookshelf, The Prodigal God, uh, Every Good Endeavor. Some of these books have been so formative to me in my life that I'm actually quite saddened by the loss of someone who has lived with such an integrous life and pointed people towards the gospel. He says something in part of his reflections in one of his books, it's really important to me and has shaped my understanding. I think it's a great way to start our message this morning. He says this, the gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dare believe. Yet, at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. I want to leave this on the screen just for a second. Take a photo of it if you'd like. Take a screenshot online. This is a great summary for how we approach not just the Beatitudes today, but our life itself. Today's Beatitude we're looking at is blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. This picture that we are more sinful than we ever dared believe, but are more accepted even than that beyond that we ever, our wildest hopes could be that Jesus would love us and choose us. This is the couch with which we sit in the Beatitudes. See, when Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God, there is an incredible irony in the statement itself. Because as we hear it, and if we believe Tim Keller's words to be true, no one is pure in heart. No one is worthy. And we're all sinful people. No one can be pure in heart save Jesus himself. What's the irony in that going on for us today, Jesus? Jesus says to a crowd in the the most foremost moment of his teaching, he says, blessed are the pure in heart. How would he say that if it's not possible? But it does kind of match with the rest of the Beatitudes, doesn't it? He says, you're blessed when you're poor, you're blessed when you're persecuted, you're blessed when you mourn and so on. None of that makes sense from a worldly point of view. I'm not blessed when I mourn. I'm sad when I mourn. I'm not blessed when I'm persecuted. I'm in deep trouble. (laughs) I'm not blessed in those moments, but it points to the irony, the points to the nature of the upside down kingdom that Jesus is pointing to. Not a worldly kingdom he came to create, but a kingdom that doesn't make sense from an earthly point of view, that is totally countercultural. This is the point of the Beatitudes. Not that there are a list of rules we follow, but they point a signpost to the upside down kingdom of God that makes sense with Jesus on the throne. See, the kingdom of God is radically different. Radically different than we expect, we could dream or imagine. And when we live under the reign and rule of Jesus, it helps all of us to live 
well and become pure of heart. People were expecting a priest to come, but instead they got Jesus who was a teacher who taught people not to be enslaved by the law, but to be redeemed by the way in which we love God and the way in which we love each other. People were waiting for a saviour who would come riding on a war horse to rescue them from Rome and the oppression of the Roman Empire. But instead they got a servant who rode a humble donkey, who chose to be nailed to a Roman cross to instead conquer death and free us all from the oppression of sin. Jesus himself modelled what a pure of heart person would look like. Someone who defies all worldly expectations. And he is utterly, completely pure of heart and is the only person to ever have been. Romans 3 tells us this, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But that's not the end of the story. The rest of the verse continues like this, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. We see in this verse from Romans the great tension of the gospel, right? That we all have fallen short and sinned and fall short of God's glory. We are not pure in heart at all, but the one who was pure in heart came to be like us and live like us to set us free. It is a free gift for all who believe. We are all justified by his grace. So if we fall short, which we do every day, we fall short of his glory and his goodness, we can fall short of being pure in heart. Jesus himself chose us to make us pure in heart. To be pure in heart is something that we are blessed with by Jesus, but it's also something that we are blessed to become more of. It's the upside down kingdom again, right? Jesus doesn't say, blessed are the pure in intellect. He doesn't say, blessed are the pure in action or blessed are the pure in speech. He doesn't say, blessed are, the pu- are those who are pure of financial stress or those who are pure of sexual uh, history. He doesn't say, blessed are the pure in meaningful vocation. He says, blessed are the pure in heart. Now, these things are the things that the world might try and tell us. But Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart. Often we think of the heart as the emotional center of our life. Sometimes our emotions get the best of us and we rage quit, or sometimes our emotions get the best of us and trick us into believing and thinking things. But to the first century hearers of this, when Jesus says, blessed is the pure in heart, he's talking about the whole interior life of a person. It's not just our feelings, it's everything within us, our mind, our thinking. Eugene Peterson says this, he says the beatitude, but he Translate it into modern language in the message version. He says, Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, you're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and your heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. I've been utterly convicted in the last fortnight as I've been preparing this message that I am not pure in heart. As I read theologians, as I read the Word, as I let the Holy Spirit prompt me, I am convicted to the deepest, dark core of my soul that I'm not pure in heart, not even close. And this week, it might sound trivial, but I've been so full of rage this week that I can't, couldn't, almost couldn't contain it. We have a beautiful puppy dog who's just turned one. Now, anyone who's got a dog in the room, I wish I had a photo, actually. I wish I had a photo to bring him. He's lovely and fine, funny and cute and wonderful, but this week, he has done a few things that made me not pure in heart at all. 
He's come up, he's dug up a whole bunch of the stuff in the yard. That's okay, I can deal with that. But we have a possum that likes to poo in our backyard. But Pippin, my dog, also loves a bath. He's the only dog I've ever met who loves a bath. Sometimes he'll sit at the edge of the bathroom just waiting with big puppy dog eyes saying, can I have a bath, please? I said, no, mate, you had a bath like two days ago. So he ran downstairs, found the possum poo, smeared it all over his body and came upstairs, sat outside the bathroom and looked at me. Now, I know for a fact he did that just so that I had to give him a bath. I know it for a fact because he did it not once that day, but twice. I had to give the dog a bath twice that day, and I can tell you the rage in me was going up. I, had to, I got covered in stuff. That's not the only thing. On Tuesday, we have our staff meetings here. Uh, great time for us to get together to pray for our church family and hear what's going on at all our campuses. I was an hour and a half late this Tuesday because somehow, somewhere, my dog had stolen my keys. Now, you might think, sure, Brad, you might have just misplaced them. But if you know me, you know me at all, you know that I'm a very ordered, systematic person. I can count on one hand how many times I've lost my keys in my 36 years of life. I searched up and down, and I found it eventually behind the couch because the dog had taken it, looked out the window, then dropped them to bark at something. Never in a million years would I have looked behind the couch, and I was so full of rage, so full of angst and impure thoughts in my heart at that stage that I, you know, if you Google what murdering a dog looks like, I didn't go that far, I didn't go that far. But I wanted to. Like, how do you get away with murder for a puppy? So full of rage was I, so impure of thought. None of us are pure in heart. And whether it's losing our keys to the dog or whether it's part of our history or our story, none of us, if we're sitting here today or watching online, can say with 100% honesty, I'm pure in heart. None of us can. We all fall short of the glory of God. And I've been completely convicted that my motivations for anything I do are never entirely pure. So if Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, how do we become of right mind and of heart, as Eugene Peterson says? Bonhoeffer says this, who is pure in heart? Only those who have surrendered their hearts completely to Jesus, that he may reign in them alone. Only those whose hearts are undefiled by their own evil and by their own virtues too. What he's saying here and what Jesus is trying to teach us is on our own, our heart cannot be pure. But Jesus creates a way for us through the cross that we can be pure of heart. He creates a way that we can be, as Scripture talks about, and as theologians say, to be justified. We can stand in a space where we are able to be open to being pure of heart. But that's not the end of the story. We don't, aren't just justified. There's a process called sanctification with which we begin to journey step by step, inch by inch, failure by failure. We go backwards, but then we try again with God's grace and forgiveness, asking Him to work in our lives. We begin this process of becoming more pure-hearted. That's the process of sanctification. So a way is made for us to be pure in heart, but then Jesus calls each and every one of us to continue to journey being more pure and hearted every day. If you've been a Christian for a while, you might have this experience that you know when Jesus is at the center, he is, the, he is on throne in your life and making you pure, things seem to make sense. He refines the, the negative parts of our character and nature and begins to birth a new spirit in us, making us more pure hearted. 
When Jesus is at the center, I know that his will is at work in me because he refines me from the evil and selfish desires I so desperately want to do. The unholy desires in me that want to take over. He does that just as much as he tempers the virtues and the goodness in me as well. To will with pure intent makes sense in my spirit when Jesus is on the throne. But maybe you're a Christian for a long, been a Christian for a long time, and you know as well that when Jesus isn't the top priority, one thing, center of your life, they've got competing ideas. When Jesus isn't your temper, your impulses, the evil and selfish and holy desires, and you begin to win out. And we know deep down within us that we're not being pure of heart and there is something wrong in our spirit. And we sleep with one eye open, wondering if the things of our past and the deceptions we've made will come back and try and get us while we sleep. We wonder if the lies we tell will catch up to us one day. Feeling and living like that is not the blessed life Jesus is talking about. My motivations must be more pure than that. It's not a blessed life to live looking one eye over your shoulder all the time. We must continually put Jesus at the center or we are at risk of having an impure heart. To be pure of heart is to want one thing. That's Jesus and Jesus alone. That's no mixed motives, no false ambitions, no dueling desires. To be pure of heart is to set your heart on one thing and one thing only, which is Jesus. His goodness, his grace, his forgiveness, the fact that he will chase you down if you run away. All the good things of God to put him at the center of our life. To be pure in heart is to want one thing, and it's Jesus. It's not to return weekly when we come to church, but it's an, a daily, hourly, minutely by minutely, hour, minutely thing. When we put Jesus again on the throne of our life, when he shows us that he loves us, and we return to the first love he gives us. This is what it means to put Jesus at the center. To be pure of heart is to want one thing, Jesus at the center of our life. And no matter how pure you think you are or how impure you think you are today, to choose him again and again and again and again over everything and everyone always is the key to a pure heart. Jesus had a lot to say about people and the condition of their heart. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 27, he says this, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. This terrifies me. As someone who is a modern day equivalent of a Pharisee or a teacher of the law. Jesus speaks, if I enter the story, Jesus speaks to me and goes, hey, what's your heart like? Are you putting on a projection, a projection on the outside world that makes things look great, but what is really going on in your heart? This has been the conviction this week. And it's the conviction of every Christian from the Holy Spirit we must feel. When we put our, life, our best foot forward and put our best picture and the mask up to say, hey, look how good I am. But on the inside, we are like dead, unclean, impure tombs. We begin to crumble. I'm unholy. I'm unworthy. I'm impure. 
but with Christ, I can become made holy, become made pure. Henry Nouwen says, purity of heart means a heart where God is at the center of your attention. I don't deserve the love and grace that Jesus will bring me. But when he becomes the object of my soul attention, he begins to create in me a pure heart. I don't know how many more theologians or scripture verses I can throw at you to get this point across. But do you see today that you, I, me, all of us don't have a pure heart? That we are in desperate need of a savior who would love us and make us holy and pure? So I wanna ask, is Jesus at the center of your life today? 1 Samuel, verse 16 Verse seven says this, the Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. He's not pleased with whatever Christian activity we do, our church attendance statistics. How often we come to church, weekly, fortnightly, monthly. He's not interested in that. He's not after behavior modification, making us to do things on the outside appearance, but he is interested in our heart. He is after our own heart. He is pursuing our heart Again and again and again, there is nothing that will impact your life more than the contents of your human heart and what you are filling your heart with. To have anything else at the center of a heart, of our heart, is idolatry. John Calvin tells us the human heart is an idol factor and he's dead set right. Anything that gets in the way of Jesus being the thing that rules our heart is idolatry, something that, that takes our attention away. In the Old Testament, Israel, time and time and time again, was taken away from the presence of God and punished and dispersed and scattered because they continued to put other idols in place of where God was. Moses goes up the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments, comes back down, and in that time, they've already made a calf to worship other idols. See, God was still part of their story. They knew who God was. They just literally had a pillar of fire guide them through the desert. They knew who God was. He was still part of their story, but they'd introduced other things slowly, calves. They hear that their neighbors, who they've come to live in the land with, say, hey, that God of yours is cool, but have you heard about this little Baal idol that you need to make sure your crops grow? Israelites are like, no, we didn't know that. We're new to this place. Tell us more. And they, take, they begin to put idols in their whole life and their system. They begin to, to worship other idols along with God. See, God is still part of Israel's story, but he wasn't the central, top, important, head honcho king. He was one of many things. And this is the trap of the modern world. That God becomes one of the many things in our life that we hold. Coming to church is one of the many things we hold in our life. Is Jesus at the center? Is Jesus not just one of many things, but the king of many things. I wanna ask you today, what are you filling your heart with? What idols are you filling your heart container with that begin to drown out the voice and the pure voice of our Savior? Are you aligning yourself with the kingdom and putting Jesus not only on the throne of your heart or the throne of your desires, but making him the sole attention of your desire? And if you're anything like me, the answer to that question is probably no. It is so hard to be pure and hearted 
in our current world that is constantly vying for our attention and all of our desires all the time. And we want to see his kingdom come, but we don't want to just see his kingdom come. We want to have a happy, a happy household, have kids that love us, to go on, uh, have healthy relationships, go on holidays, see the world. Now, these things are good things. They're good things. This is the worst trap. These are good things. But they begin to override our sense of desire and, and desperate need of Jesus. What if? Now, do we need to go and become monks that sit and worship on a mountainside somewhere where Jesus is the sole focus of our attention? Maybe for some of us, yeah, but I don't think so. I actually think the key is not to cloister ourselves away and spend time in God's presence, but it is to integrate God and Jesus into every sphere of our life. What if, what if instead of taking a list of desires and moving Jesus to the top of them, we put Jesus at the center of every desire we have? I um, turned 30 six years ago now, but I turned 30 and I spent my whole 20s looking up. Uh, I spent my whole, whole, sorry, whole 20s, head down, bum up, doing a whole bunch of work for God's kingdom. I love serving people at church. And suddenly I kind of turned around 30 and looked up and all my friends were married. I was the only single guy left at my church. All my friends were having kids and something in me went, oh, I've missed something here. And I began to, 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 to search for and seek the, the companionship, the intimacy, to desire, have kids and have a marriage and all that kind of stuff, which is a natural and good and holy desire. And in the midst of that process, I met Mercy. Mercy and I have been serving on camps uh, together. A scripture Union Camps, by the way. SU, Singles Unite. Doesn't stand for that, but it's kind of like that. Um, we'd been serving together on camps for about six or seven years before this, uh, telling kids and youth about the good news of Jesus. We built up a great friendship. I love going on camps with Mercy. And I decided after one camp, I'm going to ask this girl out. I asked her out. We went on three dates. It was great. And I thought things were going great. After the third date, Mercy texts me and says, hey, I don't think this is going to work. I'm not in. See ya. See you later. I'm not pausing for effect. I just want to say, if there's anyone out there, do not break up with someone via text message. It's a terrible idea. It'll make someone have a broken heart. Don't do it by text. A few years later, like about a, actually exactly 12 months later, we'd been on a few more camps together and I thought, we're, this, we're not done here. I'm going to give this another crack. Ask Mercy out again. Three more dates. Great. Excellent. On the third date, she took me to a coffee shop and over a big bowl of chai latte she had, she said, Brad, this isn't going to work and it's not going to work so much, I'm going to move out west and go to Chinchilla for a year. Stab in the heart. Okay, great. Didn't think it was going. But this deep desire in me, there was something desiring in me that, to, 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 about, not just about Mercy, but it had that deep connection, deep relationship. I actually dated someone else in the next year, dated someone else who was a wonderful person. But I was dating that person with an impure heart. They didn't have an impure heart, I did. I had an impure heart. My motivation was for connection, companionship, intimacy that I was finding in this person, which was great. Uh, but there was something deeper in me that is, I didn't have Jesus as the center desire of that relational connection. Uh, we broke up and then about the end of that year, I was on another rescue camp, and after this camp, Mercy came up to me and asked me out. It's great. I said, yes, yes, thank you, Ada Bell. I appreciate it. God does answer prayer of my mother and my father. Uh, we went on three more dates, and I'm sweating bullets on the third date. I'm just, if I have a third, third date that I get broken up on, that's it. I'm going to become a monk and go and live in the mountains somewhere. On our third date, Mercy and I shared our heart together. 
I shared my passion to, to be in a church and be part of a church community where I get the chance to encourage everyday Christians to go and live and love and serve a world in need, all in Jesus' name. She shared her heart, that she's a nurse. She'll never be in full-time paid ministry. Well, I never say never, but I don't think she will be. She's a nurse. She wants to be that for her life. She wants to use the gifts and talents of being someone who brings physical healing for God's mission in the world. She went on a mission trip as we were dating to serve people in Uganda uh, with Heal Africa. There was just, there was just a heart about her that, that just matched mine. And suddenly I found myself remembering that the desire of my heart is not just for connection and friendship and intimacy, but it's for uh, Christ-centered companionship, to be co-laborers for the gospel, to walk hand in hand. Something that unlocked for that in me we had our fourth date, our fifth date, 28th date, got engaged, seven months later, married. When we put Jesus at the center of our desires, he begins to redeem something in us and not just give us to the desires of our heart, but redeem us for a world in need. I wanna ask you today, if you're single and looking for a relationship, or you have a deep longing in your heart for companionship and intimacy, are you putting Jesus at the center of that desire? that he might find the right person for you and bring you to be a co-laborer with someone else. When it comes to our career and asking what God, I wanna see what you want me to do, Lord Jesus. Think about what industries most need God's redemptive work. Which workplaces need to hear the good news of God around the water coolers rather than gossip. What earning potential helps you bankroll the mission of God in your life and in your local community. When it comes to your family and your relationships, where you want to live, what school you want to send your kids to? Are you looking for a place we can withdraw from to have protect them from the, the worries and the hurts of the world? Or are you choosing the neighborhoods and the schools where your kids and your family can be missionaries to, your local, to a world that desperately needs to hear the good news of Jesus? We want to have a life that is comfortable and happy. That's human nature. But Jesus isn't the king of human nature. He's the king of humanity, the upside down kingdom. That tells us that we get to go and make the desires of our heart see his kingdom come and his will be done. It's as simple as this. Make what you love, how you love. To take the holy desires that are in your heart and allow Jesus to be at the center of them all. Colossians chapter three, verse 23 tells us this. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as your reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. This is how to have a blessed life. This is what it means to be pure in heart. And this is when we see God. When we put him at the center of all our desires of our life. You want to see God? Surrender to him. Put him at the center of your heart that he might make you more pure-hearted. See, having a pure heart or a heart that is intent on being pure does change the way in which we live. To be pure of heart is to relate to others in the world in a way that respects and honors the full dignity, value, and destiny of every person and everything everywhere always. To be pure of heart is to see others as God sees them. This is the gift and the blessing. The purity of heart would have us loving others with their interests, their desires in mind more than my own. Because how we love others is how we love God. 
See, purity of heart is a whole of life affair. One we can't do on our own. It's not just about the Jesus-shaped hole in our heart that becomes filled when we accept Jesus into our life. That is important, but it's not just about that. Purity of heart is much bigger, much grander, much more important than just the Jesus-shaped hole in my heart. It's way bigger than that. It's a complete of life restoration, redemption, transformation. It's kingdom building being used in me. It's life changing. It's missional living. It is a way of life to be pure of hearted. And we aren't gonna get this right. Not every day, not every minute, not every second. Not even the majority of the time. But we're not doomed to failure because we are made right through all Christ has done for each and every one of us on the cross. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Ben Dayton, our youth pastor, preached a few weeks ago. And he's one of the, uh, Ben's a good mate of mine, but he's honestly one of the most intelligent, thoughtful men I've ever met. He says this, he says, when we see God clearly, we see ourselves clearly and it convicts us. We see the depths of God's love and realize the shallowness of ours. We see God's holiness and we see our sinfulness. We see God's faithfulness and we are confronted with our own unfaithfulness. When we see God, it changes us. It helps us to become doing the journey of being more pure in hearted as we go. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. The message version of 1 Corinthians says this. We look at this son and see the God who cannot be seen. We look at this son and see God's original purpose in everything created. For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels. Everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence and holds it all together right up to this very moment. And when it comes to the church, He organises and holds it together like a head on a body. He was supreme in the beginning and leading the resurrection parade, He is supreme in the end. From beginning to end, He's there, towering far above everything and everyone. So spacious is He, so roomy, that everything of God finds its proper place in Him without crowding. But not only that, all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, that's people and things, animals and atoms, get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of His death, His blood that poured down from the cross. Do you want to see God in your life? Do you want to see God at work in your life? It takes us to step in and surrender, to make room as the Bible talks about. Maybe today you're feeling so trapped and like your life is closing in on you, that the things in your past are weighing you down and making you feel small. Jesus says, so spacious is He, so roomy that everything of Him finds place. Maybe you feel forgotten or lost or alone. He says He's been there from beginning to end, 
towering over everything. He sees you right where you are. Whatever condition your heart is in today, however pure or impure you think your heart is, we're gonna take a moment to ask God to come into our life, for us to, to, to make room for the King of the universe to speak into our life and bring healing. I wanna invite the team to come forward as we sing this. But is Jesus at the center of your life today? What are you filling your heart with? If you could hold your heart in your hand and see in it, what fills your heart more than anything else? I wanna invite you to sit, be ministered to by the words of this song as we begin and ask the Lord to make room in your life for Him. today as we sing these words you feel like your heart is chock-a-block full of stuff not only is Jesus not in the center of your life but there's just so much going on in there competing desires competing interests things that will draw you away from God things of your past and the things that will have hurt you over the past Jesus is here in this in this place he's here right where you are 
and is whispering to you, you're not pure of heart and that's okay. I am pure of heart, help me make you pure. If that is the prayer in your heart this morning, I wanna invite us just to close our eyes right where we are. Close our eyes, bow our heads. If you're in this moment right now, where you know that you need to place Jesus at the center of your life, and not just at the top of competing desires, but see Him at the center of every desire we have. And Jesus is saying, I know you're not pure in heart, that's okay. Let me make you pure in heart. If that's you today, and that's the cry of your heart, just as every eye is closed, I just want to invite you to raise your hand. I would love to pray for you. Thanks so much. I see those hands. That's great. Just raise your hand. Jesus, I need you to be placed at the center of my life. If you're in the chat, make sure you let someone know that you're praying this prayer. The good news is that there is salvation for all who ask, that there is hope for all who ask. There is a purity that you can be made. You can be made pure all because of what Jesus has done. You can pop your hands down. If that was you today, I want you to invite you to put your hands out in front of you and receive this gift as I pray. Lord Jesus, for each and every one of us today, come and make me pure. I acknowledge the sin in my life and my desperate need of being saved. Come, Lord Jesus. Forgive me of the things I've done wrong, the competing interests of my heart, the brokenness of my past, the things I've done to hurt others. Forgive me, Lord Jesus. But in this moment, I place you at the center of my life at the center of every good desire you have for my life, at the center that all the impure desires would fade away and all that is left is you and room for you. Jesus, today, be the center of my life, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time today, I wanna encourage you, see our prayer team, they'll be down the front in a second. You'll see our welcome team and the way out. But why don't we stand together as we sing this song from the start. Let it become the prayer of our week this week that we would make room for more of God. I invite the prayer team to come down now. If you want prayer, the team will be here along the front. But let's sing and make room for God in our life. Here is where I lay it down Every burden, every crown This is my surrender this is my surrender. Here is where I lay it down. Every lie and every doubt. This is my surrender.
way we imagine hope or dream and today we pray as we leave this place and begin to go out into a world that needs to hear your good news let there be enough space in our life that you would be the center that maybe just maybe you would create in us a pure heart and help us point others to you as well in Jesus name Friends, thank you so much for being here with us today at church. If you're here at McKenzie, we have our flavors are beyond. Make sure you get a cupcake or a curry. If you're joining us online, thank you so much for being here with us. We'll see you next week as we continue our Beatitude series. Bless you. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au. 